0: how do we reach the general public? How do we reach people that have a strong cognitive dissidence, that have this major blocker up? That's the most difficult person to reach. And artists have the ability, without having to explain it, where art, you don't have to talk. You just give them something, let them decide what the meaning of that is.
1: This is the Bitcoin Muse, and I'm Clay Ines. In this episode, I speak with Aladdin from Bitcoin Trading Cards about his history, his passions, and his role as a curator and architect whose mission it is to make Bitcoin fun and to take it more mainstream. I'm new to podcasting, but as I understand it, your ratings and reviews help immensely, so I'd really appreciate you sharing this in your circles. And obviously, I have no sponsors, so the value for value model has its allure. If you're not listening on the Fountain or Breeze apps, maybe down the line you can. Stream me some sats and we'll figure it out together. Now our conversation started in earnest as we were doing the sound check, so we're just going to drop in as it unfolded. I hope you enjoy my chat with Aladdin from Bitcoin Trading Cards. You know, I can't remember who got me inspired to do this in the first place. It was just one of these sort of random plebs out there artist type and he's like you don't think you have something to contribute but you do and I was like fuck it I I think I do (laughs) I think there's a niche here because like yourself we're artists we're not well I'll get into it like uh you know how how long have you been an artist
0: so I started singing and writing my own songs at about three years old Uh, The first song that I ever wrote was Don't Pray to the Devil. (laughs) And I grew up without TV in the house and we're not a super religious family or anything like that. But I just immediately knew naturally right from wrong where that came from. My dad is a beautiful person. My mom is just incredibly sweet. And I just knew that there was there was evil and there was good. And I knew a little bit about church and God and things like that at a very young age. My dad's a hippie, so talked about everything with us as if we were adults at a very young age. So the first song I ever wrote was Don't Pray to the Devil. And I'd sing that one quite a bit. And then I'd say around like five years old, I started drawing and really getting into drawing. And when the kids were out playing and everything... I I loved gifts. I loved giving gifts. And my thing was when we had friends or family or anyone come over, I wanted to draw them something, something to take home. So I was in the room trying to draw something up for them before they left. And that was like my big thing. And then I remember when we'd have like family get togethers and people come over, I was that kid that called me a producer or a director. I had all the kids in the bedroom and I'm like skitting it out. So it was either i mean to show my age it was um mary melodies so the bugs bunny and tweety show steve urkel uh, family matters and we'd be in the room and i'd get all these kids and we would put together a skit and then i would bring them out in the living room and gather all the adults around who were usually drinking and smoking pot and having a good time <laughs> and and all of us kids would gather around and we would put on the show for the parents and that was like my thing and this the, the funny thing is i was the little guy and I was like directing all these older kids who were two, three, four years older than me. And so, yeah, my whole, since I can remember, I was definitely into anything I could create and do.
1: And and that sort of live performance, that kind of engagement with an audience. I mean, do yeah. you think that's what, I mean, how did trading cards become a
0: thing? <laughs> so th- that's a funny story. Um, collected trading cards as a kid, enjoyed it. I uh, got to see my kids go through the Pokemon phase and, and how big that was. Um, knew quite a bit about trading cards growing up with buddies whose dads had that, um, the roller that would come out from underneath the bed and it would be just the most massive box of trading cards and being like seven, eight years old and seeing the dad pull it out because my dad wasn't a trading card collector. I don't know if he's ever owned a trading card in his life, but I had buddies whose dads were fanatics So I got to see that kind of stuff. And then the collectibles like Hot Wheels and things like that. So I always loved collectibles. Buddies that were collecting um, back in the 80s, they were all collecting the Star Wars action figures and things like that. And for me, I I understood collectibles, but at the same time, like I wanted to play with those toys. So I would get like these GI Joes that my buddies would be like, what are you doing with that? You can't play with that. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, that's like this limited edition. And I'm like, I don't know how I even got it, but no, it's super fun to play with it. I'm not going to store it in a, no, I'm using this.
1: Yeah, I I melted my fair share of (laughs) stormtroopers.
0: So moving into the trading cards, um, that was like my first time actually creating them. It was an aha moment and I I used to be in the cannabis industry and I was out in the garden and I, I grew up with a lot of mom and pop farms and farmers that went through all kinds of shit. So we just auctioned off the free Ross card, uh, just happened today. And that's incredibly close to my heart because a lot of my family and friends have spent a lot of time in jail for, for more than more time than they should have ever. I mean, you shouldn't be in there for any time when it comes to having a plant in your backyard. But all these things were close to my heart. And when we started going legal in California to the point of the, the new law, MRSA, back in 2013, 2014, Um, I understood business really well. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And I really understood that all of my um, stoner friends, these pot growers that are just salt of the earth, amazing people, they would never have a chance to compete with the big corporations. And of course, the big corporations want to take over cannabis, period. So in the garden one day, I'm just thinking, how can I create something that can help all these like small farmers not get completely eaten by these corporate monsters. And I thought, shit, trading cards. I'm like, we could literally put their strains and like what they grew and it's collectible in the way that like, here's a cherry cush that was grown in 2014. And the test results for that particular Cherry Kush came out at a 26% outdoor in the sun at 1,850 foot elevation in this county and the taste and the smell and the high and all of those descriptions were in the cards. So I created ganja brand trading cards. And this was a legal way for these farmers to be able to put their branding and their their yearly uh, strains and their yearly grow into a, a pack. And then we could literally distribute these boxes to cannabis clubs, not just in California, but all over the entire country to help brand them. And then their brand's getting out because people are like, buying a pack of trading cards. They have to. It's fun. A bunch of stoners. Here's a pack of trading cards sitting on the counter at a cannabis club. How do I pass this up? So they would purchase the packs and they'd rip it open and they're like, oh my God, this This Cherry Kush from 2014, look at the test results, and it's the actual test results. So there was nothing fubbed. It was the, the real deal done completely up and up. And then they were able to contact the Cannabis Club and say, hey, we would really like to get this particular farm in your club because I want to try this. And it was working really well. And the branding across the board, the legality of it was, in my opinion, the most brilliant part. Because when you distribute flour to these clubs, they want samples. And you're gonna have to drive the samples because you obviously can't ship it. So there's so many nuances to getting your flour and your product to a club and then you gotta give away Thousands of dollars possibly across the board to try to get the samples out and most of the time then you never got a call back so it was wasted and these are small mom and pop farmers that can't afford this let alone the risk of driving this As, as much as it was legal it wasn't it's gray area shit all over the place so this took the gray out made it completely legal made it simple and easy to be able to get these samples out to the clubs, but at the same time, it made it to where their branding was getting out and actually surpassing a lot of these big corporate guys. Because-
1: What year was this?
0: Uh, so I started in 2015 was the first box. Didn't kick another one out until 2017. So well, was
1: cannabis also your catalyst into Bitcoin?
0: Uh, well, Yo, know, 100%. Yeah, yeah all the way. So understanding freedom and the importance of freedom and to the, the fact that taxation is theft and, and we're all being, um, proverbally raped by the, by the government with what's going on. I, I watched the zeitgeist when I was kind when it first came out, I think 2005. And yeah, I, I was or- red pilled at five years old. Dad's like, yeah, there's no such thing as Santa and the Easter bunny is not real. And he just, that's just kind of the little slip of um, the red pill because he didn't hold anything back and when we had some of those presidents in there he would talk about them and then when we started in the Gulf War back in uh, the 90s or like late 80s early 90s um, seeing that because we didn't have TV and when I did it was like totally brand new to me in the house so those little snippets that I would get of these guys talking and my dad had always told me about how evil these, these politicians were and then I'd see them on TV for the first time and I was like, "Holy crap! Yeah, they look like the devil."
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> <That's cool>. I, <laughs> were you then? So, so your those those uh, Kush cards or, or were were you weren't doing illustrations
0: for those? No, those that works. was actual. Like, I would, would travel to the farm and I would take pictures of the plant growing right there on the vine. Nice. Yeah,
1: nice. So then, so then. When, when was the genesis then for the Bitcoin trading card? That was obviously working to some extent and it had, it had a commercial, it was photography and and the trading card vernacular, so to speak.
0: So Bitcoin trading cards, the, the idea, I think 2017, because I, I got into Bitcoin in 2016 and... I was immediately just jaw dropped by the potential of freedom and the fact that we have something decentralized, in my opinion, for the first time in human history, and something as important as money, probably the most important thing on earth because money is energy. So we just decentralized energy. Holy crap. My brain just exploded. And I, I, I think not too long after that, I quit smoking pot and just completely tried to clear my mind. Um, Always ate healthy because I grew up on a farm, but eating healthier and taking better care of myself and my family and really trying to just dive into as much knowledge as I possibly could. So as much as I was red-pilling or orange-pilling myself, I was equally red-pilling myself even further. I was digging into anything and everything I could. I reread The Creature from Jekyll Island. Um, one, I reread the, is it memoirs of... Uh, uh, economic Edelman, Yes, all the like just sparks flying in my brain left and right because I read them when I was younger and obviously I took some some snippets of it, but it wasn't the same way. I didn't have the same passion that Bitcoin gave me to want to learn these things because now I have hope. Bitcoin gave me hope and that hope gave me this new drive to soak in as much as I possibly could. So right around 2016, when I found it, I was like, I got to drop everything. I got to leave the cannabis industry entirely. I need to get my family the hell out of here, even though where I was at was beautiful country, gorgeous, but I needed my wife to be able to focus on work and we needed to focus on the kids. We need homeschooling, we need to like just go all in on this thing. So we moved away and once we got not too far from home, but a little ways from home, I was able to get away from my friends and family, which wasn't like something that was specifically the reason, but I needed to get focused entirely. I needed there to be no noise going on and, and I can visit them when I visit them, but um, where we're at, we don't really have many people that we know around here and it gave me total focus and the trading cards obviously were like just blasting in my head in every direction of this is something that's really fun and people love. It's the best business card you could ever hand out. And I'm like, okay, now I got to do this in Bitcoin. And how do I do this in Bitcoin? So I started whiteboarding um, late 17, early 2018. At that point, I barely had even bought any Bitcoin because I heard, I don't remember exactly who it was, but they said, never invest into something you don't completely understand. So that was where I started buying $5 at a time with Bitcoin. I had no money at that time. I sold everything and shut down my business and literally had to start from scratch. So $5, $10 here and there was the max I could do anyway. But little bits at a time. And in order to not lose myself in the number go up, I wanted it to be about the freedom. And this is why I'm doing it. So whiteboards came out. I took over one of the rooms in the house and just covered in whiteboards and started sketching. And when I first started, oh, my God, the, the room just went in a massive circle for all of the ideas and everything that could happen with these cards. And I would sit in there and go, how in the hell do I simplify this? There's too many things we can do with this, and I'm never going to be able to get it done because it's just too big. So a couple of years of just trying to hone it in, I think the the aha moment for me where it really started coming together was, I need to, and my wife helped me with this because she said, you never shut up about Bitcoin. And if you don't quit talking to everybody we know about Bitcoin, I'm going to rip your head off. You need to find a way to charge people for all this time you're spending. Otherwise, I don't know if I can handle you any longer. So she was right. I So I created the Bitcoin Life Raft, and this was a very small consulting business that I started for myself. And I'm a very ballsy person. So I and I I like taking things to the max if I can. So I would go to the banks, walk into a bank and I'd stand in line and I would find my end to talk about Bitcoin. And I would try to time it like the first of the week or first of the month and the end of the month to where the line was incredibly long. So that it would take me 20, 30, 40 minutes to get to the front. And that would give me plenty of time to talk to as many people as possible about Bitcoin. And I'd find my end. I'd usually wear a Bitcoin shirt or a hat or something to spark the conversation. And I'd have a bunch of business cards in my pocket. And I'd say at least 80% of the time, I would walk out with at least two or three new customers to sit down and set an appointment with to talk about Bitcoin. So The bankers didn't like me too much, but there was a couple bankers that wanted me to slip on my card, and I ended up doing that and having meetings with them as well. So The greatest part about that was I had my little uh, notebook, and my thing of doing this was if I can pay some bills at the same time that I can absorb feedback from the general public, people that know nothing about Bitcoin that are not interested in Bitcoin. And I can literally just like jot down all of the wins. What sparked them? What scared them? I mean, all of like, what were the things that really worked? What didn't? What were the topics that were the big wins? What were the topics that you just don't bring up? Um, here, I'm talking to a guy on the left. What sparked him? Here's a guy on the right. What sparked him? Libertarians. So I would ask them more questions than they would ask me for the most part. But it gave me this amazing playbook for Bitcoin trading cards. And then it was time to start putting this into action. And that was the, the, the main hit right there.
1: Yeah, Do you, do you feel like artists are sort of best suited to to reach an audience to sort of as the entree into this, what is, what, what turned into your whiteboard? Uh, So I picture the guy in the meme, you know, just all the lines and the the strings and things connecting with everything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's that lunatic passion distilled down into something that's more accessible
0: art, you know? Yes, a hundred percent because it's If you're already an intellect, if you're already somebody that really likes to dive deep into philosophy and things like that, well, there's so many people out there that might grab you immediately. But those people inevitably, if they have a good heart and soul, they're going to come to Bitcoin. They'll be there. We're the catalyst. They'll definitely come. But how do we reach the general public? How do we reach people that have a strong cognitive dissidence? that have this major blocker up. That's the most difficult person to reach. And artists have the ability without having to explain it, without having to be like I am right now and just ranting and talking and and we get so passionate and we scare the crap out of people with our passion and, and how far we go on our rants, where art, you don't have to talk. You just give them something, let them decide what the meaning of that is. And you give them the power And that's what really is going to give them the strength to make it to the next step, is giving them the power inside themselves and not trying to tell them how it's going to be, but let them decide how it works and how it is on their own. And when they come out of that, they're going to have this newfound strength to be able to handle the red pill and the orange pill and all these other elements. So I think the artists are the, the secret sauce to Bitcoin adoption and hyper-Bitcoinization. I, I really do. So you're,
1: you're, and you've taken a decidedly sort of pop approach. The, I know that there was, there is, there were artists trading cards. I think even like Van Gogh dabbled in that space. And, and he's a good example of, obviously, a, you know, the guy is sufficiently unhinged that he's lopping his ear off. And yet, we we are fully accessible artwork, you know, or to, in today's eyes, we yes. can address Van Gogh and we put it up in our dorm rooms or whatever, right? Like, so there's there's that perfect distillation of what you're talking about. The, but but today's trading cards, you know, for me it was baseball cards or something like that. Um, is there a subversive piece in there? I mean, you, I mean, you know, guerrilla marketing on the bank line marijuana cards are are you do you think of yourself as a subversive artist working in a popular medium?
0: I don't even know if I've gotten that far, honestly. I, I think of myself as someone that has nothing to lose and everything to gain. i I really am afraid for my children's future. And after the last few years, seeing, like, I've always, like, again, I've had the red pill my whole life, but after 2020, it was like, wow, that I don't think we have a whole lot of time left. Like, this is happening so quick, and being a father and my kids is the most important thing in the whole world to me. I could live on nothing in the middle of nowhere as long as my kids were happy. So, I look at myself as someone with nothing to lose and everything to gain, because if my kids don't have the chance at freedom in their future, then there's nothing to look forward to. So I feel like I'm someone that just says, I'm gonna give it everything. I'm gonna take risks that maybe other people would never be willing to take. And I'll take one for the team. And if that's what it takes in order to to push it out there. We never know unless we try. Like You really just have to to go for that Hail Mary and hope for the best sometimes. And I think where we're at in today's world, we need some Hail Marys out there. We really have to step beyond that. Well, I'll only go so far because in the end, I have to protect myself if I, it's about my kids and the next generation, it's not me anymore. I had an amazing childhood. I got to, like, there was no cops where I lived. We got to do whatever we wanted. We partied, we kegged, we, we did it all. And we were blessed to have the freedom living out in the middle of nowhere to have the childhood I had. So it's, it's not about my future. I've already lived an amazing life and I'm so blessed with my kids and my wife that it, it's all about me just putting everything I can out there, not just for my kids, but for everyone's kids, for the future of, of everyone coming up. And the risk takers are the ones that really make the difference. The ones that say, I'm willing to do to put it all out on the line and see what happens. And if I fail, I mean, I was flat broke and had nothing a couple of years ago and had to shut all my businesses down. And I've started from scratch a few times. I'm, I'm not afraid of having to start all over again. And I just think that where we're at right now in this time in history, we really need some Hail Marys. So if I'm anything, I, I'm that crazy, uh, crazy SOB that's willing to throw a Hail Mary right now.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've said it many times in my life that the muses seem to thrive in adversity. That, that they reach out and touch people who are sort of in their lows or struggling, that, that that's... I don't know if that's a, you know, a, a true statement, but it sounds like it might be in your case where you're, there's, I got one option here and it's creativity.
0: Get the starving artist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so you're, and and so this set one was, was your creation. You, you did the art.
0: So the first couple of years I was doing all of the art. And I got to the point as I'm building out this idea and more and more ideas are coming. And I was like, how am I ever going to keep up with this? I'm going to need to come up with at least a series a year. And then I've got little side ideas that I'm working on. I'll never be able to keep up. So I started digging online and I went on Instagram and I went on um, Fiverr and Upwork and just digging anywhere and everywhere I could to find very special talented artists and I found a nice grip of them across these different um, platforms and I'd reach out and I'd talk to them. My main thing was they'd have to have creativity. They've got to have their own style. Uh, There can't be any copy paste in what they're doing. It's got to be incredibly unique, but do they have a little bit of a red pill in them? Not worried about the orange pill because I'll get there. That's, That's not a problem, but do they fully trust the government? Do they fully trust the banking system? If that's so, I had a few of them that were amazing artists, and I did my questions that I give them all, and they were um, total statists. And I said, Well, thank you for your time. <laughs> and I left it at that until I found the ones I've got people from Colombia, from Cambodia, um, Ukraine. Australia, all over the world that are like, no, I, I get it. And yeah, what, because I'd give them a breakdown of what I'm doing. And they're like, I'm all in, let me know what I need to do. And then I consider myself at this point, the architect, and I just need some amazing carpenters, master craftsmen, basically, and, and women. And I would basically sketch them out. My ideas, I would write them a whole, God, a couple paragraphs about this subject and what I'm trying to portray and where I'm trying to go with it so that they could basically bring my concept to life. And there were some of them that just couldn't do it. And I'd have to go to another artist and I'd pay them anyway. Like they, they put the time and energy in, they didn't pull off what I wanted. I'm not going to use it, but they did their very best. So I'd pay them and then I would go to the next artist. And that was a learning curve right there (laughs) and not a cheap one. But I finally got to the point where I had a good handful of absolutely amazing artists, salt of the earth people. We'd chat. For hours and they're all over the world so there's some at two o'clock in the morning and I'm up chatting with this artist over in uh, Ukraine or wherever it might be and getting to know these people and hearing their stories and learning about their lives and the, the struggles they're dealing with really allowed me to understand the, the type of cards and the type of art that were meant for that artist. So if you see in series one we had the unalienable rights card and we had the Bill of Rights. Well, it just so happened that both of those cards were done by a gentleman in Ukraine, and it was right around the time the war started up. And he was completely anti Bitcoin and and thinking it was all crap. And I found um, a copy of Safadin's book, The Bitcoin Standard. I found it in Russian. I asked him if he spoke Russian, and he's like, "Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're we're side by side. We're like family." And I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> but I said. I would love you to read this book and you don't have to read it all, but I'd like you to dig into it in order for you to be an artist. I pay everybody the best that I possibly can. They come up with a quote. I give them more than they ask for because I want them to give their all and in, in each piece. That gentleman was fired up and within a couple of weeks was talking about getting his family out of Ukraine and whatever he can do. It needs to find some Bitcoin because obviously that's the best way to move his wealth out of the country. And it was just absolutely beautiful. So there's, with that being said, each artist that I have has these stories that I've learned that allows me to curate concepts that work perfectly for them and their soul and, and their energy. And I believe that's how we're going to come up with some of the most amazing, I think some of the art already that these people are coming out with, game changer. I mean, just the most absolutely incredible artwork I could have imagined. I have my sketches and and my dreams of what I hope it's gonna be. And by the time we're done with it, and some of these take weeks and even months just for one piece, and when they get it back to me, I'm just almost in tears. Like how how did they pull off something so amazing? I imagined it was gonna be nice and really good, but they come back and I'm like, holy crap, this is game changer art right here, the tyranny card for series two. I mean, some of these things are just insane. I don't know if you've seen any of the cards from series two, but there is one called uh, government can't stop Bitcoin. That's like a two month card right there. Two months of work went into that one piece of art. It was down to the wire. It literally he came in two days after our print deadline.
1: <laughs> two days after the deadline. <laughs> after. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he made it. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. And so so yeah, I like I have this I had a question along the lines of um, if, if Bitcoin is the cathedral, you know, if you were on the cathedral crew, what what role would you be playing, you know and in where and in, in what state is the cathedral? Are we laying the groundwork? are we are we uh, you know sitting in the mass already? what What is your role in that cathedral?
0: I would imagine, honestly, Probably the person that would try to keep the spirits up, to try to always have a glass half full thought on anything, no matter where we were at. Because if, if the community doesn't have a positive thinking, positive thoughts, then it's all gonna crumble. The only way we can move forward is with hope and positivity. And I think that's where I would be is, I'll, I'll go to bed and and cry for everybody else. But when I'm standing in the group, when I'm around the people, it's doing everything I can to just push as much hope as possible for, for everything we're all working towards. And when spirits get down and spirits get low, I think I would be the guy that would try and do everything we could just to make people happy. I mean if it's like the kid every time you get hurt and you fall and the kid laughs and or the kids crying and the only way to make the kid laugh is to hurt yourself and they're like <laughs> laughing their ass off I think that would be me I would I would try to do everything I could just to keep spirits as high as possible i don't think of myself as someone that's like highly intelligent or any of those i dropped out of school in the sixth grade for the most part and then all i did was draw write music and the the teachers and they just wanted me out so they literally were like you don't have to do anything but show up for a couple hours a day draw do whatever you want just stay out of our way please and we'll get you out of here so I, I don't have like the the deep intelligence that can compete with any of these people. I think it's just more of the the positivity, and just trying to spread as much love as absolutely possible. I mean, that's what comes from a hippie family, right? Just peace and love, and and it'll all be okay.
1: No, I, you know, I dig that, and it, it is funny, it's funny. all like you're the like the, the the minstrel, you know, the bringing the song, to the to the into the into the court which is a, you know it's lovely and I'm there's something you know in watching the little video you recently posted on twitter at, at at the conference there's a there's a joyful spirit in your sharing of these cards with the people who are rendered in the cards uh, i think that's i think you you have a good handle on who you are
0: uh, yeah thank you that's, I mean, the, the biggest thing, the main reasons for these trading cards is let's make Bitcoin fun. And my mentor, uh, Bob Burnett, told me that early on before I ever launched. He says, Aladdin, if you can find a way to make Bitcoin fun, we really got something because, and I say this a lot, there's so much red pill that comes with the orange pill that we don't consider that most of these people have no idea how sick that, that the monetary system and the history is against the human beings and we live in comfort and, and that's where they keep us. As long as we're comfortable, then we don't have to look beyond that. So when we're dropping red pill bombs on people, that's some hardcore shit and we've got to find a very soft way to do that. Otherwise we're not going to break through. So that's the whole point of these trading cards is, is a soft landing for people that are getting into Bitcoin. Uh, to get them in subliminally, to get the, give them the artwork and again, not try and like talk our asses off to people about Bitcoin. We, we lose them. It's passionate and everything, but we lose them because we are so passionate and it scares them. Where if you could just hand them a pack of trading cards and say, this is just a really fun thing and don't even mention Bitcoin. I mean, they're learning about so many topics on Bitcoin, red pill topics and things that hopefully one card is going to spark them to take the next step, to dig a little deeper and get started on that rabbit hole. And the cool thing is the Bitcoin community, for the most part, is such an amazing community, best community on earth. There's going to be so much help for them. Once they jump in and reach out, I mean, we're all just wanting to help people to learn and, and we're all there. And once they discovered the community, that's where we got them.
1: I dig it. I, I often think about as artists, you know, in history, there were schools, you know, the pre-Raphaelites or the, you know, the Impressionists or something. And they're out in there, out in the fields, painting together, doing something like that. Bitcoiners have that spirit across all domains. You know, it's like we've, we've got, it's not just Cezanne out, you know, with his buddies. It's it's macroeconomists and coders and the artists somehow, you know, having a party together. Absolutely. I wonder if you, in, if you were to put yourself in a school of art or was, was there a particular, in, in your education and in your, in your perusing of, of previous aesthetics and artworks, was there a place in the history of art that, that resonated with you?
0: Robert Crum yes yeah Uh, I look at him as the Elvis Presley of the art world he was the guy that stepped beyond the boundaries and yeah a lot of his shit is so controversial and a lot of it I would never put up on my wall and and a lot of it I would never show my kids and for sure but it's, it's not so much about that as much as he said, we're just going to express ourselves. And that's all art is, is the expression of the human soul. And I'm going to put it all on the line. And he stepped beyond the boundaries that any artist would ever attempt. And he didn't care if you liked it or not. He didn't care if it was controversial. He's like, I'm just going to do what I feel going to put it all out there and if you like it like it and if you don't like it then don't look at it it's really simple you can close your eyes or turn your head and i got to actually i was blessed to grow up with robert crumb's uh children so i i know him and just what an amazing human being so growing up being able to have access to zap comics and and, uh, the mystic funnies and like Mr. Natural, of course, and all of these, it just was iconic in so many ways. And um, that's one of the Easter eggs in series two is Robert Crumb actually blessed us and allowed us to put one of his pieces of art in one of the cards, which stuff like that is very few and far between to ever be done. So to have him throw that in and people are like, well, is he a Bitcoiner? I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting there with him slowly. But yes, um in the way that he is all about freedom and he is all about expression of oneself and freedom of speech and the ability to just be who you want to be. In my opinion, yeah, he's he's a built in Bitcoiner. If he hasn't started buying Bitcoin, he doesn't get it quite yet. I mean, the guy's like 86 years old. So can you blame him? I I doubt he really wants to use a smartphone, let alone try and figure it out. And and he does well enough. He doesn't necessarily need Bitcoin. But um, yeah, Robert Crumb was definitely one of those. And I think Stanley Mouse, um, he was the artist that did... Journey and and a lot of these other um, album covers. Being a musician, um, the album covers was really what spoke to me so much growing up. So I think those two guys were by far my favorites.
1: That's you know, as artists or Bitcoin's hard enough for people to conceptualize, and and I part of the genesis of this podcast was a conversation with Brecky around. Creating some sort of new photographic imagery that could replace the stupid gold coin stock photo stuff, right? And and then Midjourney came along, and it sort of <laughs> we've got a lot of imagery now, yeah. but uh, but for artists to distill complicated ideas, whether it's freedom or uh, you know the Federal Reserve, we'll pick one, you know, just d- deep and complicated ideas. I feel like we're well-suited for that space, even if we struggle to do so, we're not always successful. Do Do you find that that's kind of another piece? You're making it fun, but are you also distilling complicated ideas into something accessible?
0: If it's not conceptual, then it doesn't work. When we're talking about education, there's, there's other mediums of art that you just slap some stuff on the wall and it turns out absolutely amazing. But for what we're trying to do, it's got to be conceptual. It's got to, like, it has to tell the story well enough to get the the no-coiner, the the newbie that doesn't understand me these things to take the time to flip the card over and read the back. And we, the, the world today... Our time preference is completely broken and they may stare at the card for a minute, but are they going to read the back? And that's the ultimate goal. The the art has to be so well done that they take the time to read the back. And that means you got to spark something in their brain that triggers them hard enough to want to understand more about this art. And all they got to do is flip it over. It doesn't take much time. What, half a second, flip the card over, and it's a cliff note on that subject. So understanding the Federal Reserve, God, it's books that you're going to have to read. I mean, hopefully they read the creature from Jekyll Island and get started. But yeah, if it's not conceptual, then we're not doing our job right.
1: How about then, so conceptually, I get it. And then the role of aesthetics. Do you think that there's, do you weigh them separately or do you make that an equal concern?
0: equal concern and that's why I use multiple artists we have artists that are are realistic artists we have artists that are cartoonists um, artists that are just straight um, watercolors and and just straight beauty so each of these have to be picked specifically for that card anything that is more along the lines of the tyranny category. I have a lot of rock and roll hardcore heavy metal album artists that I choose for that because they're able to pull that off and and spark it. You can't take someone that's a watercolor painter and hand them a tyranny card and, and expect that it's going to come out right. Um yeah, that's equally as important and the funnest part of this whole thing.
1: That's cool. Find finding the artists that match the yes, the concept. Absolutely. And and when you, when you look forward to, to the, you know, your future sets and things like that, or are you, or are you, do you have bigger ideas? Is this a stepping stone for other, I mean, it'd be really fun to get these artists together and sharing their work. And obviously they're all over the world. But where, where does your, where does your head go when you look out in the future?
0: So what's coming up because when we originally did this, it was about orange pilling the world in the simplest way. And then the collectability of these cards took off in a way that I never ever imagined. So now we've got to come up with something that these Bitcoiners can buy a pack and they're willing to give it away to a friend and a family member because that was the whole point. Right now, no one wants to give their pack away. So we created something called the Gorilla Pack, Gorilla Marketing. And these will be launching, um, we're shooting for Pacific Bitcoin this year, and we're going to do 210,000 packs. And the price point is going to be a really good price point to make sure that just about anybody can afford one. It will cost the same price as a Starbucks coffee. And with those, um, we actually plan to have some Bitcoin hidden inside of there. We have this concept called minting Satoshi millionaires. So there's going to be quite a few little cards in there with a million Satoshis on it. And the chase is on with the general public to get after that million Satoshis. And the cool thing is we're going to make it to where when you get one of those cards, if you're a newbie, then that also comes with an hour of education one-on-one with either me or one of my team members. And we're going to walk you through any questions you have on Bitcoin, but we're really going to, we can't require, but we're going to do everything we can to require the best we can that you download your own wallet, and you're going to self custody this Bitcoin. And then whatever you want to do after that is whatever you're going to do, but we're going to start you off by self custodying your Bitcoin. We don't really want you, like, we're going to hopefully teach them that. When you redeem this, don't redeem it to Coinbase. Don't redeem it to these exchanges. That's just like totally losing and missing the whole point of what we're trying to explain. We'll walk you through your own wallets and and really teach you right off the bat of like, what do you do with this 1 million Satoshis? And what does that really mean that you now are a Satoshi millionaire? So all these little elements, it's a lot of work, but every piece of this has to be done With as much care and love that we possibly can to make this thing go as mainstream as possible. So we're going to Comic Con we're going to, to sporting events. We're taking this far outside of Bitcoin and we're trying to get this thing to be like the Pokemon of Bitcoin. If we can get this trending, if we can do it in a way where it's not like overly Bitcoin, it's that subliminal orange pill you're buying it cause it's fun, collectible. And there's the chase of the foil card and there's the chase of the little bit of Bitcoin that's in there The the million Satoshis, um, if we can get this trending and get the bitcoin community behind it to help get this trending the possibilities are are endless and there's a lot of other little things we could sit here for hours and talk about all the plans that i have if um, we don't want to do that to the people cuz we'll <laughs> take up all their time in the world so for another another podcast we'll talk about the the long term plans cuz we'll-
1: so that's cool so 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 i shouldn't should I or should I not open my packs? Um, you know, should I melt my Stormtrooper or keep it in the box?
0: <laughs> so, I think there's there's two ways for that. One, if you already understand these things and you're saving the pack for a number go up. As long as in my opinion anyone can do whatever they want to do. Free market capitalists, do your thing. But I think there's two elements to opening the pack that I really hope people open the pack. One, the artwork is insane and seeing it on a screen. We're not NFTs. We're not touching NFTs. We want nothing to do with NFTs, ordinals, none of that crap. This is physical art. This is hold it in your hand, tangible, scarce, the real deal. And when you hold that card in your hand, it's so much different. The experience of that over looking at it on a screen is night and day. So I hope people open their packs just so that they can enjoy the artwork and enjoy the amount of love and energy that went into this project. And I think the other element is being able to pass on these cards to friends and family. And so many Bitcoiners have been in space for years. They're like, man, I've learned so much from these cards because there is the red pill and the orange pill. It is an orange pill in a pack, but I also packed it full of red pills. Then people are like blown away. They're going, I've been around for so long and I didn't know about the marshmallow experiment. And I'm like, well, did you read the Bitcoin standard? And they're like, yeah, I read it twice. I'm like That was the best part of the Bitcoin standard. And they're like, I didn't even remember that part which ba- really like just reassures why these cards are so important because you can read a book twice and miss so much.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's that gorilla moving through the crowd, right? Where no one notices because you're too busy counting.
0: Yes. Yeah. Pack at a of time. It just slows it down, slows time down and allows you to put your energy into 10 cards at a time instead of, hundreds of pages at a time and I think as human beings we we take a lot more time it comes back to the art the reason we're here talking it's the art that is going to spark them I mean if the bitcoin standard was a picture book (laughs) I mean it would just be that much funner but then the book would be 10,000 pages so this is like the bitcoin standard in a way and with a little bit more red pill in there but and a pack of trading cards, little bits at a time.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Also, too, I like the idea of the collectible and tradable, right? This is like the early forms of money, right? But it's it has it meets this prerequisite before it can expand into other domains, right? Of of medium of exchange, your store of value, unit of account. And so we're we're at this nascent stage here with these cards and and then and it's educating. And with that education the future unfolds.
0: You're more valuable than any paper that the government's ever printed.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and more scarce.
0: And way more scarce. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, does is that is the scarcity a, a big piece of your of the idea here? Because you have a distribution concern. But but are you and yet they are limited editions, right?
0: Scarcity is key. And I mean, we got everything we, we do, we try to do in the Bitcoin ethos. So people say, well, where's the game? I'm like, dude, it's the game of life right now. This is the biggest and most important game you'll ever play. You're learning scarcity. You're learning tangibility. You're learning all the elements that make Bitcoin so absolutely amazing and why we love it so much. And the, the best part is the trading. Why? It's not the number go up. It's the community that you find in these cards. It's the friends and family that you are now bringing over to the orange side of the world and and getting them involved. The, The community building behind this is really going to be the building blocks of this project. And that's what gets me the most exciting. Without the community, then nothing else with this is really going to be able to go to its fruition. It's the community that will take this and and take my hail Mary and possibly give us that touchdown we're looking for. And without them, it's just like, I mean, like sports and we're on the football field right now and we're going for the hail Mary. If the whole team is not playing together, then good luck. Like the, the, quarterback's never going to land that ball in the hands of the receiver because the receiver is going to get knocked out before he even makes it out to the spot where the ball needs to drop at the perfect time. All of those come together. So yeah, it, it's the team.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad to be part of that team and, and now with this thing, and even the way that that ethos, that Bitcoin ethos, we're having this conversation using Keat instead of zoom. I mean, it's small and no one cares, but, but it feels right. to to, yes yeah it's a version of the circular economy even though it's obviously a free app (laughs) absolutely (laughs) well aladdin i really appreciate your time today i mean i appreciate learning more about what you're doing and uh i'm gonna buy more just for giving them out though just you know i i think i i'm a melted stormtrooper kind of guy i'm gonna open them up and and give them out because uh just last night, I was having a long conversation with my old dentist and his wife, and you could you could watch watch him glaze over. Yes, <laughs> <at> hour three.
0: <laughs> I got my dentist with these cards, and he's now trying to accept Bitcoin in his office. And I tried many times, but until I put a pack in his hand, that was the aha moment for him. No,
1: I love it. I love it. Well, man, thank you, and I and I look forward to uh, meeting in person and uh, yeah, sharing sharing more stories.
0: Absolutely. I can't wait.
1: Thanks, brother. There you have it. I've added links to Bitcoin trading cards and the artists and authors mentioned in our conversation to the show notes for those inspired to dig a little deeper. And Remember to subscribe, rate and review the Bitcoin news in your favorite podcast app, and perhaps dip your feet into the value for value model over on Fountain or Breeze. Thank you to my brother, Brandt for the music. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks again to Aladdin for sharing his time and energy on the Bitcoin Muse. Onward.